Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome back to the TSC Audio Project. On this episode of Nerd Talk, my guest is Lori Sharp. Lori's a foot nerd and a movement coach from Ventura, California. She's a runner, and she's also the person behind our newest Instagram account called TFC.runner, where she shares her running learning journey with our global TFC community. We talk about her running story, why so many runners get injured, and we also talk about the effect of cushion footwear on how we move. Really enjoyed the conversation with Lori, and I hope you find the content useful. This episode of the show is brought to you by TFC App. We began a mission mid-2019 to create a platform where our tribe of foot nerds could share high-quality information with our global TFC community. We wanted to create a self-funded platform that was built for a single purpose, empower you with the knowledge you need to take care of yourself. We don't sell your data, we don't use tricks to get you addicted, and every feature we design is with the intention of connecting and sharing good quality information. Head to the footcollective.app, it's a website, and you can access both the iOS or web versions, and our team's working to develop an Android version as well, which should be out soon. This episode of the show is also brought to you by our family of partner brands listed at thefootcollective.com, who've offered discounts or free gifts to our community, and also help support TFC app by helping to fund the development and hosting of the platform. We've developed relationships over time with brands doing awesome work, and who align with TFC on the mission to create great products that are good for your health and good for the planet. If you head to thefootcollective.com and click on the Partner Brands tab, you'll see a list of brands that offer you discounts, and by purchasing using the links or codes on that website, uh, it helps us keep TFC app free and evolving without ever having to load it with ads. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, wonderful beings. Welcome to another episode of Nerd Talk. And my guest today is Lori Sharp. Lori's a foot nerd from Ventura, California. She was kind enough to give us some of her time this morning to chat about her running story, her experience so far within the foot nerd program. And we also plan to go a little bit deeper into the topic of running. So Lori, thank you for taking the time this morning and welcome to the show. Ah, for sure. Thank you so much for asking me to be on the show. I'm super excited. No worries. It's always a Pleasure talking with people that have great stories and um, great knowledge on a, a topic that they're kind of obsessed with, right? Um, so maybe a good place to start, and this is a common way we start these Nerd Talk episodes, is sharing who you are, you know, the Coles notes on who is Lori Sharp, where you're coming from, and what gets you out of bed every morning? Uh, good question. <laughs> so um, I'm, like you said, I'm pretty much obsessed with running. That's my nerd topic. Um, yeah, I didn't really start running until I was about 25, 26. I pretty much late in life, what I call it, because most people I know started running in high school or even college, and I just hated running. Uh, it was actually kind of a, a thing that you did if you got in trouble with, <laughs> you know, with the, I was in, I was heavily devoted to the music program. That's my background originally. And if you messed up, that's what you did. You ran. And I mean, that's pretty common in the Midwest. And I moved to Los Angeles and originally running was more of like a social thing. I just okay. needed friends. I didn't know anybody there. And so I, uh, my husband ran, I honestly, I used to drop him off in the mornings at the run club and then I would go back home and go back to sleep <laughs> um, and never really joined them. And, but I needed friends. And so I joined a run club in LA and I kid you not the very first couple of runs I ran with him, I got lost. I had no idea where I was and um, because I was so slow. Right. I mean, LA runners, they're serious. <laughs> and 
things just kind of snowballed from there. And I mean, if we want to get into my story a little bit more, I just got super competitive and all I was focused on was racing, trying to get faster, trying to get faster. And I think it was just because I got so tired of running alone. Right. And when you, when that's your focus, when you're just super competitive, I mean, runners were known for just kind of doing everything that we can to get to the finish line. And yes. if we feel a hot spot, we kind of just ignore it. It's like, Oh, it's mind over matter. That's all it really, that's all it really takes. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm really excited to dig into that, but I want you to hold it because I, I, let's talk about when we get into running, we're just going to go full fledged. And I'd like to kind of get the initial part out of the way where we just, I just, I'm always curious to find out people's experience with the footner program. Um, more so for feedback, but also just to hear everyone's different perspective of why they gravitated towards uh, the community and then also what what they like and what um, they foresee the program, what role they foresee the program playing a role in their future. So, you know, even just about yourself, what does Lori do during the day and what is Lori really into? We know you're into running <laughs> and we'll get into that. Um, but what else? What else? So you're, you know, you started with music. Um, but what else sort of gets you fired up um, during the day? Uh, see, definitely during the day. I spend a lot of time, I mean, working on that, my running business. But I don't know, just understanding how people think cool. and how to better myself. I spend a lot of time, I mean, if you were to look at my bookshelf right now, I have a lot of self-help books. And trying to work on the mental capacity changing that for the better because I feel like we're in such a space right now where it's so hard to be positive and it's so hard to not get inter like internalize everything mm -hmm. that we see especially on social media and like everything that we're hearing and just different things and topics that are going on that are so controversial between person to person's beliefs it's just super important right now for me to really focus on staying positive finding ways to be happy. Um, main focus also right now is getting ready for a big backpacking trip. Uh, hopefully everything will work out to where I will be on the John Muir trail for three weeks coming up in August. And that's something I'm constantly getting ready for, like looking at food and getting that, like my guest bedroom is just full of food right now. It's <laughs> nice. hilarious. It looks like um, every, when I shop, people think I'm a hoarder for this whole situation that's going on right now. And I'm like, no, I swear, just getting ready for a hoarding food for three weeks and, and uh, bear canisters and food drops. So that's Very definitely nice. something that's really just I'm trying to focus on right now. And it's kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel. Very cool. Yeah. I think training for uh, a challenge is always a very powerful motivator to keep you on track. Um, I'm reading this book right now called indistractable. And he says that in order to understand distraction, you first need to understand what traction is, right? Because distraction is anything that takes you away from making traction. And when you have that light at the end of the tunnel, that you know, that John Muir trail three week hike, that's your traction. So if you're moving towards prepping for that, um, experience or that challenge, um, then you're making traction. And if you're deviating from that or not making progress on that, then that tells you you're being distracted. And sure. I just find that the, you know, looking at framing the opposite of distraction as traction instead of focus, I think is a very powerful, um, kind of framework because it makes you understand what you're trying to work towards. So very cool. And I love what you said about mental health and personal growth as well. Cause yeah, 
I can definitely relate that the world is a bit crazy right now. Um, and there's no better time to work on sort of your mental health and your, your ability to control your mind, um, and control, which also allows you to control your self-imposed stress, uh, than right now. So very cool. Love that. Let's chat uh, a couple questions about the Footner program, and then we're going to dig right into running because that's really the meat and potatoes of today and what I'm looking forward to hearing about from you. Um, but, you know, so Lori, you are a foot nerd in the April 2020 group, so you're a fairly recent um, kind of community member to join the tribe. Um, what attracted you to the foot nerd program in the first place? I think my first interaction, I was actually trying to think about this this morning and a little bit last night. I think my first interaction was on social media, on Instagram. I somehow stumbled upon you. I think Kelly Sturette retweeted, not retweeted, but reshared something that you guys posted. And it just really, it was, I guess the word that that's coming up to my head is new age. It's a newer thought. And you guys, the Foot Collective is really thinking, it's about thinking outside the box and not following the norm just because it's the norm or just because it's something that we've always done. Mm -hmm. And that's really how I love to think. I mean, don't do something just because A, it's popular. Or don't do something just because it's always been done that way. Why not have two ways of thought? Why don't we play devil's advocate with things sometimes, you know, instead of just believing in one thing, why not See what the perspective is from a different point of view and that's what the foot collective was really doing about foot health and shoes is a huge I know I don't want to talk about that right now we'll get into it but like just what you guys were doing I think the beam tribe wasn't really it wasn't really developed at the time when I found you guys it was more so focusing on the shoe and shoe health or not shoe health but foot health and that's just something not a lot of people were, were talking about right now. And it just really opened up my mind. And as you uh, posted more and more and have we've do dived into about like the pillars of health and wellness, it's just a, not talk. It's, you guys aren't talking a lot about things that everybody else have been talking about in the past. You guys are thinking about it in a new perspective. And that's it was so refreshing. And yeah. Awesome. And then, so you've been going, so you're in the April group, so you would have gotten access to sort of the program content at the end of April. So how's the first, you know, six weeks or so been, um, you know, how the beam project's going and, and what, um, what do you find? Cause it, it is a, you know, the footner program was created as sort of a solution to the problem that traditional education institutions in terms of health programs, um, you know, I went through physio, I have friends that have gone through medical school and it seemed like we weren't really learning the stuff that we needed to understand in order to truly help people. Right. And right. the mindset of be healthy yourself, work on your personal health, um, in order to gain experience, to understand like, you know, what we should and shouldn't be doing and use that to guide your ability to then share with others and help them better understand things. That mindset was just completely missing. It was like, here's the information, learn it, apply it. You're not really supposed to ask questions. You're not really supposed to doubt the fact that, you know, waving a magical wand called an ultrasound on someone is something that you shouldn't be doing every session because it really doesn't do anything. You know, like we're just sort of, you pay a bunch of money, you invest to learn the stuff that you figured is the most cutting edge, important stuff. And, 
you kind of leave that program a little bit disappointed being like, well, I don't really think that that's all there is. Treating injuries and treating pain is not all there is to health. And health is this vast expanse where you don't have to be super advanced to be able to explain it to like someone like a 12 year old. If a 12 year old came up to you and said, how do I work on my mental health? You should be able to have a pretty good general answer. And none of that was covered. So it was really a solution to that. And, um, you know, it's kind of forever evolving, but, um, what have you, what are the parts that you've found to be different, but, um, you know, I guess helpful in this, cause you're just starting the journey, but, uh, what, what have you liked so far? One of the benefits of the program is an online community that we have access to with other nerds that have graduated as well as nerds that are learning students. And I think that's been a really awesome experience um, with just with any topic that we have on this application that we're chatting. It's really refreshing to hear different point of views on all sorts of health and wellness related topics. Everybody having different backgrounds and different experiences that they've had either learning or educating. That has been a really cool opportunity um, with cool. the education itself. Just there's so much information out there and it's really hard to find what is credible and what isn't because different researches are funded by different, I mean, they have different agendas and you don't know if it's a profitable agenda or if it's like an actual credible agenda. And with the foot nerd knowledge or the educational program that I'm going through, it's really refreshing to find smart, well, let's say short and just right to the point information that just makes sense. You don't have to go through and weed through the different topics. It's all just right there, point blank, nice and simple. Cool. Yeah. And community-based learning. I mean, we're social animals, right? And this whole idea of going through school and can, competing for grades in this very isolation-based approach does not really align with how our brains are designed to learn. Mm -hmm. And the idea even of sitting in a classroom for hours on end is also really weird. Um, mm -hmm. Even in physio school, that was, that was it. That was the norm. So having more of a community-based flexible program that you can do at your own pace um, where you can also connect with others going through the program, share experiences, ask questions, hold each other accountable. I think that, you know, they were just sort of big voids in um, programs that you pay tons of money for. And that was another thing too, is trying to make it more affordable where it's like, once you're a community member, you're there forever. It's lifetime mm -hmm. access. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of universities are gonna, aren't really going to let you go back in 10 years later and be like, well, I'd like to take this program again because I'd like to know what's new. They'll be like, well, you need to pay tuition again. So just trying to solve some of the problems and um, how are your, how are your beam, pro beam projects coming along? Oh, they're, they're, they're coming. Um, I actually had a really <laughs> fun experience. I was, in, um, the, uh, I was in Sequoia National Forest this past weekend, and I had multiple opportunities to take my, uh, my minimal hiking shoes that I had on and just walk on some logs. And I achieved my first pistol squat on a log and it's nice. just it's just fun because it, it just makes you more aware of you know when you're walking outside you're just so I mean if you're not practicing if you're not barefoot you're just nervous that you're going to step on something or hurt something but you just being on the beam I'm actually on it right now as we're talking it's right nice. underneath my desk um, it just makes me more confident and more aware that you know my feet can handle I mean they're tough they have the stability to handle. I'm not going to fall. I'm, I have more confidence and 
it just can play more because of that. Cause like there's beams everywhere. You see them right. <laughs> kind of like the matrix. It kind of comes up a little bit more in your vision. And so it just gives me the ability to, availability to play a little bit more. Right. Yeah. When you like, if you spend time on beams, you see beams everywhere that you wouldn't have seen before. Mm -hmm. And even like when you spend time barefoot, you see a bunch of delicious textures on the ground in a bunch of places that you wouldn't even notice before. And, mm -hmm. um, I think it's, yeah, it sort of just expands your horizon for uh, being able to find opportunities to play or find opportunities to take your shoes off. So very cool. All right, let's dig into running because I'm really curious. You've heard, <laughs> you've kind of told me your running story um, before, but I'd like to hear it again because it's very interesting. Uh, and just for anyone curious out there, we just started a new TFC Instagram account um, called tfc.runner. And Lori is going to be managing that and kind of putting all the content out there, which is going to be specific to runners. So whether it's running injuries, injury prevention, um, training, inspiration, all that kind of stuff. Lori is the human behind that profile. We used to have one called tfc.run, but we went through this thing where we can't find how to log into that because of a series of <laughs> things. So we just had to create a new one. And uh, I'm really excited to see the stuff you post there and, um, and hopefully build sort of a running specific community uh, with TFC because there are a lot of runners. Uh, I think there's a massive opportunity with the running community to put information out there that simplifies things, but also just helps people take back a bit of control because with 75% of runners getting injured every year, that's a big opportunity to help solve that problem um, because it's really not super complex stuff that you need to do to eliminate the risk or mitigate, heavily mitigate the risk of injuries. Um, but we just need better information out there. So, um, so yeah, let's hear your running story. So you kind of got into it at the start, right? You moved to LA, you, um, essentially took part in a running community as a way to have a social circle and, and make some new friends and, and then, yeah, take it from there. Uh, yeah. I just got, um, super race, like focused. All I focused on was just racing and yeah, I kind of, um, as most runners do, I just wanted more and more, you know, I did a 5k. Okay. Let's see if I can do a half marathon. Okay. Let's see if I can do a full marathon. And that actually was instigated from um, Walt Disney world. I'm a little bit of a Disney nerd as well nice. as a foot nerd. You got to talk to Christina <laughs> Dela Cruz. She's a Disney nerd too. <laughs> I'll make sure to do that. And that's those races kind of drew my attention to the longer distances. I mean, I thought I'd never be a runner. I mean, I was, I don't know. I just never thought that would be my thing. I hated sports growing up, but I guess it just turned out I'm not a team sport person, more mm -hmm. of a solo sport. And, um, yeah, those races actually went really well. And it just, you know, you just go down the cycle of racing and racing, moved to a different location, really got into triathlons, really got into ultra running. And then the big, break light happened where I was actually at Disney world on my birthday and I had been experiencing pain in my knee. And like, I've always just told myself I had bad knees. I actually went to a running shoe store when I first started and they put me in a really thick shoe because oh, I had bad knees and that was <laughs> supposed to fix it. And I mean, I had knee braces. I, I, it usually, I, had to take like a whole bag with me every time I ran because I had socks, knee braces, ankle. I had the whole works. <laughs> um, but at Disney world, I just felt the worst 
pain and it was just this ache. It wasn't really anything that just happened. It just was an ache. And then the next day I was at, I was at work. I went to stand up and my knee just buckled. It was done. I was in the worst pain I've ever been in a life in my life, more than the end of a marathon or an Ironman, any of that. And it's just like something was not right. And I tried to use a PVC pipe to stand up and walk to my office that didn't work. And um, I literally had to get piggybacked out of the facility to the, to the urgent care. And the result was a stress fracture. And the funny thing is it wasn't an incident. Everybody kept asking me what happened, what happened? And I'm like, I stood up. You know? That's so crazy. <laughs> I, yeah. You should have seen the other guy. Sure. Um, <laughs> but no. Um, and it just, made me realize that if this happened, what, I mean, it just, I, it was just so frustrating because I was just like, usually I only, you hear of injuries have happened with an incident, Mm -hmm. something happened. And I'm like, obviously it shook me and I just didn't know what to do. I actually, I was on, um, I texted Kelly Surrett. We went to a seminar earlier that season and gave us his art, a way to contact him if we needed help. And he was wow. just like, what a good dude. Oh yeah. He's the most genuine guy. I mean, no matter how big his program gets, he's just one of the most personal people I've ever met. Amazing. Um, so good. And he was just like, you know what to do. You're an MWOD certified coach. I mean, you know what to do. Just do the do, do the thing, take it slow one step at a time. I know you can get through this. And just, so that's what I did. I turned to, Um, I actually, well, before all this, my physical therapists were like, yeah, you should never run a 5k ever again. Your, your knees are horrible. Um, you should stay on crutches for four months. And I'm like, yeah, that no, bye. So physical therapist 101, do not do that. That is terrible. And that person's not trying to like be terrible, but that is the worst advice I've ever heard because they simply don't understand. They clearly have a very narrow mindset when it comes to the body. Once you're broken, you can't be fixed. It's like, didn't they teach you in school that the body is a healing adaptation machine? Like, Mm -hmm. did you sleep through that lecture? That's an important one. Right. I actually had a physical therapist once told, tell one of my clients that to solve her um, shin splints, she should heel strike. And my first question was like, is your physical therapist a runner? And she's like, no. I'm like, okay, let's not bashing because I don't talk bad about anybody. It's just like, let's, let's talk a little bit. Like, let's discuss why that might not be something we want to do. You know, so. you're allowed to bash that. That is so <laughs> silly. That is so freaking ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's probably a good little asterisk to put in there to anyone out there who is a runner and suffering running injuries. Um, probably it's just like, I always tell people you should interview your health professional. If you want to mm-hmm. work on reclaiming a squat, the first thing you should ask a health professional before engaging in a like a therapy relationship with them is, can I see what your squat looks like? Yeah. Because <laughs> if they can't squat, they're probably not going to be able to help you how to help you understand how to squat. If they don't run, they might not be the right person to go to with a running injury. And even mm-hmm. if they do run, ask them about their how often they get injured. Because if they're getting, I know so many physios that are runners and get injured more than the average runner, and it's so mm-hmm. crazy. It's like you don't even understand running and movement yourself. I think, I think we need to have a chat or suggest some books because it's, it shouldn't be beyond the realm of competence to, for a physical therapist to understand running mechanics to a level where they can 
help people with simple, simple advice. Cause it really is simple. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Interview your physio. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, like one of the things that's really been instilled in me is like, I'm not going to ask someone to do something that I can't do. Like I might give you advice, but I'm not going to be like, yeah, this is exactly how you should do it. <laughs> yeah. No. Cause there is no exactly. Yeah, no, for sure. So you had the stress fracture. You yeah. got some questionable physio advice, but then you started <laughs> putting in the work. So where did you go and what, what was this time frame? And for the record, how old were you, um, if, if you don't mind saying, when, when you literally stood up and your leg gave out? I had just turned 31, I believe. Like, so it was just recent. It was three years ago. Wow. Yeah, cool. just recent. So where'd you go? And- so what'd you do? Um, well, I went to the books. I, um, I just dove, I devoured supple leopard. Um, I went to YouTube videos that Kelly Surrett that he put it, he put out, um, every day for over a year. This is a while ago and they're still available on YouTube. I went, I read his ready to run. I just basically took this non running time to really understand if what I was doing was wrong before, what wasn't I doing right? Like what, right. what obviously what I was doing before wasn't working running and running and running. What do I need to take a step back and, you know, cause anytime you want to make something better, you have to slow down and go back to the fundamentals. And so I started doing a lot of self mobility. I mean, I was scraping, I was voodoo banding. I was just, doing what I could each day to self-manage that tissue. And it was a tibial stress fracture just below, it's the point just below your kneecap. And so I was working on that area day in, day out. Um, And when I could, I started adding some body weight. I mean, the first day after my incident, I was rolling around the gym where I was coaching at, at the time in a desk chair. Nice. Because I was like, I'm, this is not stopping me. I'm going to still do, you know, live my daily life. Love that um, mindset. Yeah. It's just going to, it's going to take me a lot longer to get to the car, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so just, um, instilling some body weight stuff when I could by use of bands, I would crutch up to the rig and put my crutches on the, the J hooks and then do upper body stuff. And it's just trying to stay active, trying to move that tissue because if you don't move it, it just creates that scar tissue around it and it's not going to be functional later down the road. And each day just taking a little bit more and more closer step to putting body weight back on it. I mean, kind of going back to the runner mindset, I had Boston in three months. I had qualified for Boston the year before and it's just like, I'm not going to not go, but I don't know what I'm going to be capable of. I mean, my husband was running it and we had already set everything up to go and I knew I would regret it if I just said, no, I'm not going to go. I have this injury. It's just like, right. no, I'm going to do everything I can to where I can at least like watch it and stand there without crutches. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I mean, all these books, they just have great information and you just, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but you just have to really take on that responsibility. Yep. And I just, spent a lot of time self-educating myself, just trying to figure out what I was doing before, why that wasn't working and how I'm going to change things starting from then to be a better runner, more responsible, a better mover. And, you know, if anything, like 
instead of standing there with my foot turned out, hip uh, jutted out, you know, what's a better way to stand to help support that leg that's broken, you know? And right. Yeah. I think that's, wow. What a, I love how you went right to the books because that is the last thing most people um, know to do. And it's not because they're purposely not doing it, Mm -hmm. but I think genuinely people see movement and understanding something that like running, um, you know, I think people see running as something that you're just born to do as a human, which you are, Mm -hmm. but we've kind of uploaded all of these different problems basically throughout our lives, you know, whether that's a locked up ankle or poor movement patterns or tight hips from sitting. And so we end up in this kind of state where we're no longer able to run like a human's supposed to run. And so the assumption that we're just, we can, Oh, I would, I'm just going to go for a run. Well, we might not be ready for that as just like kind of a baseline. So, you know, I've always said that the best thing a runner can do is improve their understanding of running. And there are so many good books, you know, ready to run is an amazing book. Supple leopard running rewired by Jay Desherry. Um, you know, Romanov has a great book on running. And I think if you're a runner, the best thing you can do is under better understand running. And those books are literally written for the runner. They're not written Mm -hmm. for the expert or the health professional. And, um, it really, if you expand your understanding, you become way more in control of whether or not you're getting injured every year. And more importantly, not getting injured and improving performance are the exact same thing, right? Becoming a more efficient runner allows you to be better in terms of performance. It also allows you to avoid and mitigate the risk of injury. Um, so you started learning, you worked on the tissues, you took ownership, you put in the work. And then, so you had, you said three months before Boston. Mm-hmm, I did. And you just saying Romanoff, you kind of triggered a memory. I had actually gone to his running seminar in November, like about two or three months before the whole incident actually happened. And uh-huh. so it was kind of, I mean, it's hard to say this, but the fracture was kind of a blessing because it made me really like, okay, I know what I have to do. Now I have to do my homework, you know, instead of just saying, yeah, I took this course. I know how to run. It's like, no, (laughs) I have to implement this. I mean, like, this is the only way I'm going to make it. And so um, anyway, afterwards, I, um, I had three months until Boston and I went uh, I think I was able to do a run, walk, or I guess you should say jog. I wasn't running. Um, <laughs> jog, walk system around the facility I was working at. And I was only able to get up to about nine miles where I could put weight on my body. I could move. I was in a teeny tiny amount of pain, but I could do it. And I would go. And how long of how long was that when you could do nine miles? What was the time frame from when the injury happened to being able to do a walk, a walk, jog, nine miler? Uh, I would say about, it was about 10 weeks. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But this is like constantly working every day. Like right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a lot of work and um, yeah, we got to Boston there. Um, for those that don't know, the Boston Marathon, there's a train that is that parallels the course. It's really helpful for spectators. They can get out, watch the runners get back in, keep going up the course. And I had purchased a train ticket to put in my back pocket to be like, okay, this is my, if I need to dive off the course, I can get on the train and go to the finish line. We get to the village and I realized I had checked the ticket with my bag that is going to be at the finish line. And I'm like, 
all right, so I guess I'm doing this. Cool. <laughs> and I did it. I mean, I, it, that was the year that was the torrential downpour. It was, it was 2018, so it was raining. It was cold. I was wearing merino wool. I mean, I knew I was going to be the, out there for a long time. And so I layered up. I had a trash bag on me. I didn't look like a runner. I just looked like a crazy person just following these people in the rain. <laughs> um, but I, I got to mile 23 before I really felt anything. Wow. I was like, I can do this. I'm going to do this. And it was my most favorite race I've ever done. Like, beyond the circumstances, I had a blast. I talked to people beside me. There's a guy who had a, I think his name was Lou. He was like, this is, I've had two knee replacements and I'm finishing. And it's just like, I got to talk to people. I high five spectators. Amazing. I just had a blast. It was the best of a worst case scenario. Cool. And I think you said uh, something important there where the injury was, um, kind of a, a learning opportunity. And I think if we just frame all injuries and all pain as uh, a hint, basically a hint from your body saying, Hey, you gotta, you gotta look into this. And we ignore those hints for so long before the body starts screaming at us when we start to get pain. And when it screams with a megaphone in your case, where you, it literally mm -hmm. stops you from walking. I think, mm -hmm. um, there's many, you know, analogy I like to give is that pain always starts as a whisper and then it gets louder, and then it gets to a yell. And we can often avoid the yell. We can avoid the catastrophic injury if we just listen to the whispers. And I think we've just been sort of programmed to ignore injuries. Um, runner, like you said, runners are very outcome-oriented and not process-oriented, so it's easy to say, well, my knee hurts, but I, I got to go on my you know, 12K run today. That's what my program says. Mm -hmm. And if we just listen to the body and understand that, okay, well, this is a hint, number one, to help me avoid future injury, but it's also a hint to help make me a better runner because if I'm getting pain, I'm either overtraining or I'm not moving efficiently. And if we reframe pain as that, I think that is one of the biggest fundamental elements that we need to put out there as within running culture uh, to really make sustainable changes in how people think of running and training for running and injuries. Um, because I think that's a very powerful mindset and is very different, I think, from the norm right now uh, in the world of running. Is that, mm -hmm. does that resonate with you? Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, one thing that came to my mind as you were talking is that runners, we see, we see training plans or we see training as volume and we see it as strength training and we see it as stretching, like maybe mm -hmm. five minutes of it. And it, it, what's not included is continuous education I mean, there's just so much that gets left out because we are so focused on that training plan. Yeah. And I think one of the big things that gets left out is what are you doing with your body when you're not running? Oh, for sure. Because I think that is actually the most important thing for movement health, you know, and running is just a running fits into the bucket of movement. It just happens to be a very complex movement. And I always hate when I hear people, health professionals, especially say running's bad for you. Running's mm -hmm. bad for your body like, well, that's a really narrow-minded way of looking at it, right? And, and I understand why they're saying that because they're not runners and they've just literally seen slews of injury coming in from runners. So, I mean, it's safe to, it would be a safe assumption to say, well, I see a lot of people who are getting injured running. Running must be bad for people. And where the gap seems to be is running is not bad for you, but if you run poorly, running is terrible for your body. Mm -hmm. And it's fixing that 
how you run or if you run poorly that people seem to kind of get lost on because it, you know, you don't become better at running by just running. You become better at running by understanding the consequences of your daily shapes that you're spending time in, right? Namely sitting for most mm-hmm. people, you s- screw up the way you move. If you cover your feet with pillows, cause you miss a massive amount of feedback and the whole running shoe industry is worth billions of dollars. You know, companies are there to essentially program people to think that you need a cushioned supportive shoe in order to run properly. Oh, doorbell. Um, but I just think, yeah, it's just, there's so many like attack fronts that we can kind of chat about. And I think one of them is caring about how you move and the positions you adopt during the day, because that affects your running in a massive way. And, you know, right. if someone came to you and said, I'm getting hurt several times a year running, um, you know, what are the low hanging fruits to you, in your opinion of what person X without really knowing much about that person other than the fact that they run every week, you know, three, four times a week, and they're getting injured consistently. Mm-hmm. What do you feel are the low hanging fruits in terms of like a basic conversation to steer that person towards some clarity? That's a good question. So usually I like to ask, you know, what do they do during the day? What's their, you know, general lifestyle like? What do they do for yeah. work? And that tells me a lot about how they spend their day. Do they spend their day in a closed hip position sitting the entire time? Are they, um, if they drive a lot, do they like, do they have a long commute to work? That usually, again, tells me that they're sitting most of the day or even what kind of shoes they wear. Cause if they're at a professional setting, then they're more than likely in these closed toed shoes that are pointy, that aren't good for the bridge of the foot. And that tells me that they're just not aware of how their foot moves. And especially if they're in big boots or if there's some type of industrial worker, then their, their foots are even more closed off because of how thick and, you know, the iron or the steel at the top of the shoe is just what I don't think they realize, like you said earlier, is that how they move throughout the day really contributes to their running, especially if they have such a really busy schedule. Let's say they're a busy mom or a busy just busy lifestyle. They don't usually tells me that they don't take the time to warm up or cool down efficiently or even mobilize throughout the night. If they watch TV a lot, they're usually on the couch, not on the floor mobilizing. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot that just by changing a couple of little things that they threw out the day, like maybe raising their desk a little bit, raising their monitor standing instead of sitting, it can really contribute to how the tissues react and how their joints move when they are actually active. Yeah, that's a great point. And just asking about their lifestyle, getting an idea of, okay, well, what does this human do with their body during the day? Mm-hmm. Because that I think creates context where if you ask someone enough questions about what they do during the day, you can almost picture in your brain how they're going to be moving. If you do some basic screens, like a squat or a lunge or a single leg balance. And I really think, you know, my mindset and one of the big things that I've realized probably in the past, like three or four months is that balance a basic prerequisite of just having balance right um and i think balance is a loaded term because you know to a lot of people it's like oh i can stand on one leg okay it's like well what are you actually doing to stay on one leg because i think a side effect of sitting that people underestimate is the fact that all these deep stabilizers of the hip start to get unplugged and if you can't use those to stabilize the joint so that the big muscles can do their job of moving the joint well, then the big muscles start to do that job for them. And they're really not that good at it. 
they tend to get locked up super quickly because they're not supposed to be postural muscles. And when you look at some of those muscles and well, it's like, okay, the quad, the hamstring, you know, these are areas that are really big hotspots for runners. Um, and I think we just, you know, so getting people to just do a basic balance screen, like I love the single leg balance with your eyes closed for a minute. Mm -hmm. If you can't do that, you know, I don't have any data to back that, but if you can't do that and you're running, which is leaping and bounding from one leg to the other. So not just standing on one leg, but actually landing repeatedly. Then I think there's a low hanging fruit there that you can address by literally just standing on one foot on a daily basis, like plugging that into your daily routine where you're doing some balance work, whether that's on a beam or just working on some single leg stuff. Um, I really think that if you go to the deepest layer of the pyramid, it's get an understanding of what this person's movement is like in terms during the day. And then you can help direct them on, you know, I even find that taking away the negatives, like it's like uh, improvement by subtraction. It's not giving people more stuff to do. It's well, if we take this out of your day, it saves you like an hour's worth of extra shit that you'd need to do to offset that. So let's start there. Mm-hmm. Oh so. yeah. I don't think a lot of runners realize that running is a single leg sport. I mean, what I can't remember the name of it. There's a new Olympic sport that's like fast walking or something. And the rule is both feet have to be on the ground at the same time. Whereas running, I mean, that's the exact opposite. You're in a flight stage at some point where both feet are off the ground. And then you have that supporting leg where you're back down on that one leg. And when I do have runners, some clients, when I have them try to balance, they have to use my head. I'm down there helping them with their feet. And they have to use my head as a balance tool. And I'm like, how are you running if you cannot stand here with one leg? Right. It's, it's just, it's mind blowing. Yeah. How do you, cause I'm sure you've had a bunch of these conversations. How do you have the running shoe conversation with people? So someone comes to you, they got a, you know, a laundry list of injuries, maybe some currently going on and you see big old padded shoes on their paws. <laughs> how you know how because like one thing with the footer program it's funny because a lot of people say i just want to be able to explain this better to people because i know it but i don't know how to explain it and it's something we're going to constantly try and refine in terms of like a very crisp logical explanation of why padded running shoes have this counterintuitive effect of making it really hard on your body to run if you run with a heel strike how do you have that conversation i That's a good question. Um, It's basically by demonstration. Usually when I'm working with someone one-on-one, the first thing I ask them is how much time do they spend barefoot? And that tells me, that tells me a big thing. I mean, it just gives me a better understanding of what they do during the day. And then the first thing I do when they have them, when uh, we start the analysis that I do offer is we do it barefoot and they won't, they don't believe how different they run with their shoes off versus on. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do the anal- we do the initial video analysis with shoes on just to get them most comfortable and most natural. And then I start teaching with the shoe off. And they are just amazed at how much better they feel, how much better they move. A lot of, I, oddly enough, a lot of things that I see, like a little bit of heel striking, overstriding, it's gone hmm. because of how much better they can move with their feet. I mean, if you were to run with your shoes off, right? I mean, you're not going to more than likely not going to heel strike because it's painful. You can feel that instantly. It's instant feedback. And so that's the first highlight. I mean, it's not like telling, but it's more so just having them feel it and seeing the difference 
that they have with the shoe off. And then we start talking about integrating that practice into their daily routine, making that a point to where they do the drills, they do the warm up, shoes off, find grass, find sand, somewhere where they can do it. That way they really have that general feedback of what am I doing, how am I doing it, and is this correct? That they can't get without the shoe. The shoe, what I tell them, is almost like a blocker. It blocks a sense in their brain that they don't, they don't have responsible, they, what's the word I'm looking for? They're not able to use their foot as well in the shoe as they can without it. They don't have that response. Right. Yeah, I love that. I love that it's uh, demonstration by experience because I think that is the most powerful, you know, you can say whatever you want, but until a person experiences it and feels it themselves, they're not going to completely believe you until they prove it to themselves. And when you mm -hmm. get someone running either completely barefoot or with natural footwear that has virtually, it basically is like being barefoot, right? Thin layer rubber protect your foot so you don't have to worry about stepping on stuff. There's no cushion. There's no rigidity. When you get someone to do that and they sense how differently they're moving, and you're right, like they might heel strike a couple times, but instantly it seems like the stride shortens, the cadence increases, the heel strike goes away. It's self-limiting. And it's like, 10 different coaching cues get done by taking someone's pillows off their feet. It's beautiful. It's so it's easy. It's the right. easiest thing. <laughs> exactly. And, um, and I really think that that's, uh, you know, and obviously I think that, you know, if you look at the running motion with each individual leg as a pendulum, if you don't have access to extension, you're automatically shifting the pendulum forward. So you're going to stride way more in the forward direction because you simply don't have access to the rear direction. Um, and so, you know, I love, I, because the shoe conversation gets made into something way more complicated than it needs to be. Uh -huh. And I, I love Lieberman's quote where he says, how you run is the most important element when it comes to running. Way more important than what kind of shoes you wear, how long you've been wearing those shoes for. But we also need to remember that the shoes you wear can change the way you run. Uh -huh. And so it, I always try and bring the conversation back to how are you running? How are you moving? Um, but making them aware or, or having them sort of have an understanding that Okay, if you jump off of uh, a two, like a one meter ledge onto concrete and you don't have shoes on, I just ask people, do you think you would land on your heels? And I say, no, I would not because, and it's like, yeah, you wouldn't because that would hurt and you wouldn't be able to absorb any of that impact. It would go straight to your skeleton. Right. But if you have running shoes on that have a big cushion on them, you can do that and not really get any feedback that that's not a good way to, to interact with the surface you're landing on. And I think a lot of the you know, a lot of people are looking for reasons to essentially back up the fact that we should wear cushing running shoes, right? Oh, the ground is hard. We never ran on hard ground or, you know, all these, oh, I need the cushioning because my joints are sore. It's like, well, maybe the cushioning in the shoe lets you run in a way that's way more impact, uh, that puts way more impact on your joints. And it's counterintuitive, right? You think cushioning on your foot equals cushioning for your body, but we forget that it changes how we move. Right. And, uh, and it's not, you know, and it's not the, if you should, because I think I've never had a conversation with someone that has an understanding of running and biomechanics, um, that has convinced me that we should be wearing running shoes or um, cushioned running shoes. But the conversation instantly starts to go to the place of, okay, well, how do I switch? Because I've trained right. my body to run this way for, for decades and I can't just switch the footwear and assume that I can continue the same training routine. So it's, um, it's really how, and I think that brings me to sort of the next point is like people have lost the ability to troubleshoot experiments, mm -hmm. right? 
And, you know, if someone came to you, Laurie, and said, okay, I want to switch to natural footwear with no cushioning, um, what would be your explanation of how to begin that journey? Right. This is something I actually just, I've kind of been experiencing on my own, experimenting with, kind nice. of getting to the end of it. Um, yeah, slowly, slow <laughs> transition. Everybody yeah. thinks, all right, I got these new shoes. I'm going to go out for a three mile run. And then they end up getting injured and then they blame the shoes instead right. of blaming the process. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's what I, it's, you don't focus on the mileage, you focus on the time. And that's something really hard for some people to grasp. And you also have to dial things down, which is not a lot of favorite term that runners <laughs> like to hear. You have yeah. to slow down. You have to go back to the basics. And my advice that I usually give is start your warmups, start doing drills, barefoot and in the shoe, or either if you want, if you're transitioning to barefoot or more neutral shoe, start doing your drills and your warmups in that shoe. And then if you feel the need to, you can put your regular shoe back on and go for your run, but not as long. And then over time, over the weeks, slowly increase the amount of time that you spend in that neutral shoe or minimal shoe, as well as the lifestyle. You have to change your lifestyle. Like if you're at your desk at a job, see if there's a way you can stand in just your socks, stand more, make sure your feet are neutral, pointing straight. Now even help encourage and increase the transition period more cool. and yeah you just can't go fast a lot of people try to maintain their normal running routine as they're transitioning but it's just it takes time yeah you have to rebuild and you have to be patient right like no one ever looked back and said i wish i would have done that three times as fast and gotten injured 10 times no one said that <laughs> but oftentimes it's like people try and do it way quicker than they should and they hit all these obstacles and they have, they go until they basically hit a catastrophic obstacle where they're literally forced not to run or they have to go to the doctor because they're injured. And it's like, we could have avoided all those yells by just listening to the whisper. And I think part of, I think part of the process that I've started to explain is, uh, and I got this from Irene Davis, I think is like, you should spend a month in natural footwear in terms of your everyday footwear to build a baseline level of foot conditioning and foot strength. Because if you've been in heavily cushioned and supportive shoes your whole life, you've probably lost just like a baseline level of strength and mobility in your foot. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that that's like ground zero. It's like build a baseline capacity of your feet and then start to implement walk dog intervals in, in natural footwear. Very, very slow, right? I always tell people try and find like a small uh, loop around your home and increase the amount of loops you're doing while taking sort of a journal every day, right? And the journal can literally be one line. Felt good, felt good the next day, we'll progress now. You know, and like no one records data. They just assume that their memory is good, <laughs> right? And that, right. I think it's like a fundamental flaw. It's like, how are you gonna do an actual reliable experiment if you don't collect any data? And if you rely on your memory, you're not collecting very reliable data. So even just taking a little note and just, and cause I think that that's powerful cause it actually reinforces the fact that you're improving, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to have times where you're going to overshoot and you're like, wow, my calves were lit up today. They're really sore. A, you have to know to do a little bit of tissue work to show them some love to get that recovery process started quicker. But B, you have to know that, okay, well that indicated that I wasn't quite, I didn't have the capacity to be there yet. So I'm going to bump down. And unless you know 
sort of where you're at, it's hard to know where to bump down to or where, where to increase to. Um, and so this whole concept of, you know, we created some videos for Beam Tribe about just experimental framework. How to design experiments in a very simple way, right? In a way that a 14-year-old could design an experiment because it's pretty basic. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's what I want to do. Here's the, the method that I'm going to use to do it. Here's how I'm going to collect data. And then I'm going to review everything and see how the experiment went. And then I'm going to use that data for the next experiment. And I think running, training for running, and whether it's just something you're doing for fun or whether you're doing it from a performance standpoint in racing, is a giant experiment made up of smaller experiments. And if you treat your running training as something, as with the mindset of playfully doing an experiment, instead of taking the drill sergeant approach, saying like, okay, well, I'm going to plan for this, but if I have to modify, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a very different mindset um, from what most runners take, but I think it's it's a much more optimal one for both the happiness and joy of training for running, um, but also just for mitigating injuries by just listening to your body. For sure. I've had, I mean, data is a great thing. Having data, it's repeatable. It's, you can improve upon it or you can see how you improved upon it. Having data is so important. And like something that you said triggered um, a lot of runners do have Strava and that would definitely, or it's a online platform where you can record your runs. And that would be if runners listening to this really want to start playing around with recording, that would be a great tool to use. Um, Cause they're already using it and you can change the title and put how you felt during that run that day or what you did, what made a difference, how to change it. Cool. Could be beneficial yeah. for them. Yeah. Taking a scientist mindset when it comes to training for anything, I think is very, very helpful. Um, and you know, like, I think a lot of people, a lot of questions that I've gotten is, how should I be running? How should we be running? And it's a hard question to answer because it's such a broad, uh, it's such a broad question, but I always kind of anchor back to this concept of natural running. And we've kind of chatted about this in emails, but you know, basically just running according to your biology, running in a way that your body was designed to run. And I know I've given an analogy to someone one time. It's like, if you take an F1 race car that is designed to, to do, to, to have a certain kind of fuel and to, to essentially move around the track in a certain way. And you take that to a rally cross track, it's not going to do very well because mm-hmm. it wasn't designed for that. Right. Mm-hmm. If you take the human body, which is designed and adapted to be an amazing running machine, endurance running machine, and then you put it in a chair all day and expect it to run just as well, or you do the equivalent of taking the F1 car to the rally cross track by running in a way completely incongruent to how your parts are supposed to work, it's not going to go very well. And I think we have this weird assumption that when you get injured running, it's because of a flaw with the human body, but not a flaw in the user of the human body and how they're using the machinery. So, you know, like not what, when someone says natural running or when someone says, how should I be running? Um, where do you start with kind of sharing your experience and, and shedding some light on that? Natural running, like that implies the lifestyle of what they're doing. I mean, something that we've already mentioned is like, what are you doing in your daily life to make yourself, make your running better, to make your body more available for better running? Like you've got the hydration component, 
you've got the mobility, like how are you prepping your body before you run? What are you doing during the day to help it? Are like going back to the hydration, are you intaking enough fluid to where you can recover efficiently every day? Are you doing the mobility? Are you like, there's so many factors to it and it's mm -hmm. just, it's just making sure that you're doing your homework every day. Like, Oh, instead of thinking from that conversation, Oh, wow, there's so much. It's just like a little by little each day, like 10 minutes a day, mobilizing the joints, maybe just taking a lacrosse ball to your foot, getting that ready to go. That will help you. And then the next day, maybe adding some, trying something a little bit different. Are you uh, mobilizing or what's the word? What am I looking for? Maybe, just working on those hamstrings, getting them nice and ready. Like, sorry, I'm kind of <laughs> spiraling. Okay. I'm just trying to think. Preparing the body. Yeah, preparing the right. body for sure. That's definitely a lifestyle thing that not a lot of us focus on. We just focus on lacing up our shoes and going out the door. And that isn't helping at all. Right. You need to take care and be responsible for your movement before you go out. And that, I mean, it's just a lifestyle. It's making sure you are being responsible for your movement. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. And I think, I think it really boils down to is your lifestyle, your way of living, which is really composed of all the, all the individual behaviors you do during the day. Does that align with your values? Like, does that align if you aspire to be a runner, someone who runs on a regular basis and races potentially in running, does your lifestyle align with your aspiration of wanting to be a runner? And that lifestyle needs to involve a lot of movement, very little sedentary behavior. It needs to, you have to sort of align with an, a, a mission to better understand the sport and the activity you're engaging in. Mm -hmm. So having a baseline understanding and not just having to rely on your running coach or your physical therapist or your doctor to give you information about running, but take some ownership and learn about running, right? Those right. books, those books that we mentioned are tr tremendous resources. Um, and just dedicating, you know, living a running lifestyle where you're moving during the day, you're calm, you're mindful of your footwear, you're mindful of your daily positions, make your lifestyle, your, the bulk of your training for being a runner. Um, because when you align the lifestyle, all the extra supplements, like the mobility, um, stuff, the specific strengthening, you don't have to do as many of the supplements. If you're getting a wholesome movement nutrition during the day, because that's the way you live your life. And I think that that's the, that's the big one. It's not going on like diet where you're doing mobilizations to be able to run. It's like just being, having a sustainable movement nutrition throughout your life. Um, which allows you, you know, if you live a natural lifestyle, you will be able to be a natural runner or be a runner who runs naturally, which is the best way to mitigate injuries and improve performance. So, um, yeah, when you talk about lifestyle and little starting with tiny little changes, and that's really, you know, why beam tribe was designed with just small videos so that you can literally watch one video per day and implement that and take 10 minutes and just work on something extremely small. Because the best thing to work on is the thing you're willing to work on consistently. And For I think sure. with balance being a really low hanging fruit, if you're going to work on balance, it can't be boring because you're not going to do it <laughs> if it's boring, right? For sure. And so, you know, a tool like the beam is very simple, but it also gives sort of a playful outlet to work on refining your balance in a way that no one's telling you what to do. 
you just have to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I appreciate your, your input on running. Cause it's, I mean, the most potent things that I've talked to people about when it comes to running is them sharing their story and the insights that they've gained, right? Like you gain the insight that it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how fit you feel. Uh, if you're not moving in an optimal way, especially when it comes to running, your body will let you know. And your way of getting let know was <laughs> not being able to stand up. But I love how you just took the reins and just took the mindset that this is not going to beat me. I'm going to get over this. I'm going to put in the work. I'm going to improve how I move. Um, and since that Boston, you know, how has your running shifted in terms of the footwear you wear or um, the amount of injuries that you have? Like, have you noticed a significant change since you changed that mindset? Uh, the mindset of competitiveness has definitely changed. Um, uh, instead of, oh, there's a race this weekend, I'm going to do it. It's like, is this worth like putting my body through that much trauma? And will I have optimal recovery time? And so with, uh, with the racing, it's just more so about instead of spending so much energy and effort on multiple events, picking the ones that are most important or ones that are local ones that are special to me mm-hmm. and then just focusing on those and spending more time focusing on the movement. And I mean, because I'm not racing as much, it gives me more time to focus more on movement quality and lifestyle changes, giving me more time to transfer to a more minimal shoe wear and just being more, more focused on how I train versus just constant, constant, constant training, um, experimenting more with less volume, higher quality of movement Mm. and more high intensity training. I've actually even dove a little bit more into Brian McKenzie's breath work. Um, his new shift program that he's released. I've been using that for a, a month or so realizing that my, my legs are stronger than my lung capacity. And by slowing Mm. down, I was able to, to feel that and to realize that. And so that's been a whole new spectrum to add on top of the mobility on top of the education. So that's been a lot of fun. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many different realms you can look at, um, you know, through each of the individual pillars and even just like breath, breath is this Brian blew my mind. Um, you know, we, I did a podcast with him and I've been digging into some of his stuff, you know, CO2 tolerance tests slapped me in the face. Oh, me too. It's so bad. You're just like, wow, I didn't yeah. realize I was that limited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was very humbling. Cause I, I do have like a, I, I consider myself more mindful than the average person in terms of my breath. I nasal breathe. I've done the tape at night. Um, and I, and I, I don't do it anymore because I feel that I've literally just shifted my breathing to just nasal breathing. I don't wake up with a dry mouth. So that's kind of my signal. But so I was like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good with breath. I did that. I was like, oh, my goodness, I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really eye opening for sure. And it's it's crazy because, I mean, he's his research and the amount of years that he spent really diving deep into that whole program. It's just amazing how true it is. And how there's one podcast, I forget who he was interviewing with, but he talked about like those that score low on this test have like this symptom and this symptom and this symptom. And I was just like, wow, he nailed it. He called me out. And it's just, 
it just was really awesome to make that connection with the mental thing as well as the breathing and how, I mean, it just, I mean, obviously it all connects. It's all, it's all connected. Exactly. And he just brought that to my attention. And it's just like, there's so much more you can dive into with all of that. Yes, definitely. It's a black hole. And it's like how it all, I mean, it's exciting because it's like, well, how deep do you want to go into that? Um, because the energy you put into learning about something going super deep might be energy that could be better served learning about something to go like medium deep or shallow on an area that you don't even know you have a, a blind spot right now. So it's, um, yeah, and that's kind of part of the beauty of the Footner program with it being more of a decentralized collaborative uh, platform is like everyone's got a unique experience that they can contribute. Um, everyone's got uh, an interest, right? Like yours is running. Some people in the program are all about breath. Some people are all about the mind. And it's cool to have all these different people who are obsessed with something specific and can then kind of contribute and share with the tribe so that we, we end up with this really powerful repository of knowledge, um, which is based mm -hmm. on experience and research. And, you know, if you agree on the tools, the scientific method and critical thinking, then the more you challenge your current perspective, the stronger that perspective gets, right? It's like a community of people aligned on the tools to use to determine truth creates an immune system for knowledge. And it's really, um, it's a really cool platform and I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes because we, it's a really awesome group of humans. Thank you for being involved with it. And um, I look forward to hearing your feedback when you're done the program. Um, so let's talk about, I always like to finish these. We've got 10 minutes left. Okay. I always like to finish these with a couple closing questions. Um, and just kind of, I'm always curious to hear people's answers. So the first one is what are some of your keystone habits and these, you know, keystone habits are these crucial daily habits that have almost like a multiplier effect on all your other habits in your life. What would you consider to be some, be some of your powerful habits? Our habits, uh, definitely sleep. Sleep is a huge thing. Um, nice. gotta get, I've realized that I function so much more. I'm a much better human <laughs> with getting at least eight hours of sleep, eight hours, nine hours of sleep. That's just how I start my day. Um, reading is a huge thing for me. I'm a huge book nerd and I just, I feel like reading just makes me a better person and it makes me more appreciative for the time of the day. Whereas I feel like I'm chasing the day if I don't spend my first 30 minutes waking up, reading, engaging my brain, get waking it up, getting it questioning, getting th the thought process going. If I don't, then I just, I don't know. I just feel like lost in thought the entire day, if that makes any sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I can definitely relate to <laughs> sleep. Uh, the sleep being a keystone habit because I, I really think sleep is a superpower that very few people tap into. And it's mm -hmm. almost like, the less you sleep, the cooler you are. And it's such a skewed way of looking at it because those who sleep know what's up and know that it, it's so crazy to sacrifice sleep for something like, you know, some sort of novelty or distraction. doesn't mm -hmm. matter how good a Netflix movie is. I know I'm going to feel so much better if I have a good quality night's sleep. And so there's really nothing is worth sacrificing sleep for, for me anymore, which definitely wasn't my mindset. So I can relate to that and reading. For sure. And like, if you don't like for me, if you, if I'm, I don't have sleep. I spend the whole day trying to diagnose, well, maybe I didn't eat right. Well, maybe I didn't. And it's just like, no, <laughs> I did not <laughs> sleep. And so instead of yeah. just second guessing and trying to replace it with something else, you just, it's a foundational thing. We need sleep. We need to recharge and we need to recover. Yep. I agree. 
Uh, question two, is there any habits or behaviors right now that you're trying to install or uninstall that are giving you a little bit of friction? Uninstalling for sure my use of social media and it's hard because I'm <laughs> Good trying. Good thing we just started a new Instagram account. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's amazing. No, it's just being more responsible with my social media, installing reminders um, that pop up. Hey, you've been on this for 30 minutes. Maybe you should mm -hmm. take a break. And um, a habit that I'm trying to help with that uninstall is setting a time limit. Is cool. I like that. Making, yeah. And it's really easy with reading the news, reading everything. And I just realized I go into this black hole and I forget what the original reason for me going on there instead of educational, it's more recreational yep. and yeah, it's easy to get into. Yeah. And I think this book, uh, indistractable that I'm reading right now gives a really good framework where he says, um, there's nothing wrong with going on social media if you've, if it's in your schedule, right? Like you use social media, I use social media. There are things that actually we need to use to do uh, our work or to reach other people. Um, and so you can't just say social media is a distraction because we actually have to use it and it's part of what we do for work. So I think a really good way to know when social media is being used as a distraction is I actually schedule my social media time. So in the morning I'll do three posts. In the afternoon, I kind of have this 30-minute block where if I feel like it, I'll go on there. I then know that anything outside of those times, I'm using it as a distraction, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and there's nothing wrong with even scheduling like 30 minutes of just like taking a real big dive into the Explore feed. If that is something you're doing intentionally because it's there, you've scheduled it and set aside time for it, go in there and do it. You're not actually using it as a distraction because you've set aside time specific for that and doing essentially doing your daily routine in alignment with what you scheduled is traction. Anything that goes outside of that is distraction. And so I think, yeah, especially because social media is just, so, there's so many billions of dollars put into making social media an extremely potent distraction tool that you have to be extremely intentional with how you use it, especially if it's something that's mandatory, right? Because if you don't need social media, it's really easy to say, well, I'm just going to delete Instagram. Boom, not a problem anymore. But if it's something you need to use, you have to be extra vigilant to make sure that it's not affecting you negatively, that you're not getting sucked into the social media world and, um, you know, having your mind and your emotions affected by comments because, you know, and I think to use it intentionally, you have to know why you're using it. Mm -hmm. if you're using it as a platform to share with other people, um, well, then it's not really a medium of discussion. So if you find yourself digging deep and digging your heels into Instagram arguments, well, that's not my intention of using it. So I know it's becoming a distraction. So, um, sure. and I, I think a lot of people would align with the sentiment of trying to uninstall overusing social media. So, mm -hmm. um, last one, and this is a very subjective one and we're going to do a little content project with TFC and the Footner program, but how do you define health or being healthy? it's funny because I was just talking about this with the conversations that we've been having <laughs> with someone else the other day while we were on a walk. Um, for me, my definition is being able to move my body in a way that I want it to when I want to cool. without any distract, not distraction, but limitations. Yep. And I think distraction is probably a good word there because if you want to move it in any way you want, then pain would be, in this case, a distraction because it's bringing you away from that traction yeah. marker, which is move like you want. So 
Yeah, I like that. And I th- it's always interesting to hear people's definitions of health because it's very subjective based on the lens you look at life through and your experiences and the things you like to do. Mm-hmm. But I think by asking a lot of people, you sense these very common threads that underlie everything. You know, being able to do what I want to do, feeling in control of my health, um, working to improve. These are all like common threads that are said in different ways, but seem to be shared by a lot of people. So mm-hmm. um, awesome. Thank you for, for those answers. And thank you for chatting today and sharing your running story and just riffing on running because I think, <laughs> I think we could probably do a monthly podcast on running um, as you're kind of, you know, cause like when I first started using social media for the foot collective, it was really a way for me to, uh, essentially create structure around, okay, I'm going to research this. I'm going to get, I'm going to improve my ability to say things simply. And then I'm going to send that information into the world of social media for anyone who's keen to listen and might be able to benefit. And I'm sure that you'll be doing some of that as you, mm-hmm. um, create and post content to tfc.runner account. So, you know, if you're taking notes, um, maybe we can even organize one of these every month or every couple months. And I'd love to just pick your brain on things you're learning and different ways you're thinking about running and your own running practice and how it's changing and evolving. Um, so thank you for taking time this morning, Lori. I really enjoyed the conversation and, um, you know, thanks for everyone listening. You can check out the tfc.runner Instagram profile for running related content that Lori's going to be posting. Um, anything you want to say before we wrap up? No, I mean, I just thank you so much for having me on here. It was a lot of fun and I'm, I'm all in for these monthly conversations. Let's do it. Amazing. Cool. Well, (laughs) we hope that everyone out there benefited in some way from this conversation and we will catch you next week.